series that we're kicking off today is called How to Build Better Friendships, uh, Relationships, sorry, How to Build Better Relationships. Friendships is what we're going to be talking about um, today. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be discussing all kinds of relationships, okay, all kinds of relationships, because for us, especially when it comes to friendship, which is why we're starting that with that, that today, um, we really do believe that they are so valuable to every other area of your life. Um, and one of the great movies, this is a great thing, if you remember this from Christmas, we just finished Christmas, so this is why it was fresh in my mind. Do you remember this part at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, where he picks up the Tom Sawyer book? And Clarence writes him and says, George, remember, no one is a failure who has, what's the word? Yeah, no one is a failure who has friends, right? P.S. Thanks for the wings, right? It's right before that iconic line where the girl says, and every time a bell rings, yeah, so most people forget this scene, but it's a really great moment, right, in his journey and George's uh, journey, because we believe that you really are and we really are only as happy as our core relationships are healthy, and happy is probably not even the best word, but I don't know what another word to use. Maybe contented, maybe, maybe satisfied, maybe fulfilled, right? Like there's a certain amount of this in terms of your life, in terms of how you and I operate, that, that, that the level of which you experience health in your relationships really does correlate to just how happy and content and satisfied and fulfilled you feel in every other area of your life right? Here's the thing we notice, and this is one of the reasons we wanted to do this series. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about friendships and dating and marriage and, you know, strained relationships. We're going to have a, a whole day just specifically about, you know, estranged family relationships and exes, and you're not going to want to miss some of those Sundays. So that's going to be over the next several uh, weeks. But here's the thing about what we know about relationships. The healthy relationships don't come with instructions, Right? They don't come with instructions. They're just sort of, you just sort of live it out and you do it. You know, you're young. It's simple. Hi, you know, my little girl, I'm Charlie. I'm seven. Want to play? You know, and what's the answer to that? Yeah, let's play. So then you go play and then you're best friends forever. And, you know, and, and, and we sort of just learn as we go when it comes to relationships, right? We learn, you know, things change in middle school and they change again in high school and adults friendships change. And, you know, we, we pick up some, I'd say some bad habits along the way. We pick up some unhealthiness along the way in terms of how we sometimes experience and manage the relationships in our life. And so they don't really come with instructions. We don't get that clear out of the gate. Step one, two, three, put this piece to this piece and you're going to have a beautiful, healthy relationship. You know, we don't, we don't have that. Matter of fact, I looked it up. I did what all of us mostly do, mostly do is I Googled it, right? How to build better relationships, right? How to, what does a friendship mean? What does it look like? And I came across this really crazy study Oh, sorry, this, is, this came from a study. Uh, time plus affection plus togetherness equals relationship. Now go to the next slide. I don't know why it's on two slides, but that came from Time Magazine. And the study was called A Journey of Social and Personal Relationships. And this study was done specifically because of the pandemic. It wanted to see sort of like, how does that work? Like time and affection and togetherness, and then you have a relationship. So that's their formula, right? That's their instructions. But they wanted to see you know, what happened when you remove two of these things, you know, when you remove time and togetherness, 
what happens to relationship, what increases, what decreases. And it was an amazing, you can go look it up on your own, it was an amazing study to see the things that increase. You know, obviously we saw loneliness and we saw isolation uh, just, you know, increase during the pandemic. And it was a lot of times, even with our introverted people who self-identify as introverted personalities, don't let the fact that they love social distancing fool you, okay? All my introverts in the room, right? You know, you, they loved social distancing, like get out of my space, right? But there's still a huge need for, for, for relationships. There's still a huge need for interconnectedness. And we saw some real struggles over the last couple of years in all areas of relationships, whether it's friendships, again, uh, dating relationships, marriage relationships. We saw people just, last few years, it was like a pressure cooker and it accelerated a lot of things, right? So we know that to be true. Now, yeah, again, we don't do that great. Nobody's going to go Google how to be a better friend or how to, you know, you know, have healthy relationships. I get that. But we do believe scripture does talk about how we relate to one another. And there's actually a ton of scripture that kind of tells us not only models for us what healthy relationships look like, but gives us some like ideas of how to have some healthy relationships. Here's just a few verses. Here's Proverbs. It says, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of diversity. You could put some brother or sister in there. Like a friend loves at all times. That's the idea of just unconditional love. They're always going to be there. They're never going to leave you. They're never going to be not by your side. And especially during struggle, right? It's born for basically like you are born for this time where I'm going through this adversity. I'm going through this challenge and you are right there beside me. You're right there with me. How does that happen? Well, this is Peter talking about the most important of all. I want you to continue to show deep love for one another, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. What a beautiful picture, right? That you can love someone so much that even when they screw up, even when they mess up, that love just covers that multitude of sin. Wouldn't you love to have a love like that, like a friend like that, like a relationship like that? Some people don't have it. I'll just be honest. Some people don't, have never experienced this really. And that's very tragic, Here's uh, Paul talking to the church in uh, uh, Colossians. He says, uh, make allowances for each other's faults. That's one way you do it. Like you, you give space and margin for uh, others to fail. And you forgive anyone who offends you. Like whether they intended to offend you or didn't even intend to offend you. I want you to forgive them. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive them. You must forgive others. Keep going. Above all, clothe yourself with love. Again, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, not sameness, right? Not sameness, but in harmony, that we're unique individuals, but we can come together because of how we love one another, how that actually works. This is, again, this goes back to Proverbs. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Man, talk about, talk about a, a verse that talks about our culture, Right? People who don't even care about you can, can try to, you know, kiss up and try to make you feel like you're important, but they're really not a sincere friend. And yet, even when a close friend hurts you, even when a close friend, you know, you experience a rub, like that's better for you. That's better to have in your life than the kisses of an enemy because they can uh, be, they can be healed right? Keep going. This is Solomon again, just the practicality of it. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. 
If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So here's just, he's just talking about the practicality. This is why relationships matter. This is why friendships matter. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And guess what? Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Hopefully you've heard that verse before. So there actually is a lot of scripture. There's a lot of God's word that talks about how we relate to one another in, in many different levels of, of our relationships. Again, we're going to talk about all of them from good, full, life-giving relationships to you know, broken, fractured, life-sucking relationships. You guys with me? We're going to talk about all of them, the full spectrum over this series. But the reality is this, and I want to just give you a couple things in terms of how, why we struggle, why most of us struggle to experience the healthy relationships that I believe God wants us to experience and that we see, we see modeled in Scripture. I, I put it this way. This is just my, my, my kind of uh, word picture. I see healthy relationships as like just pure oxygen, right? They're just, they're just like pure O2, like there's just something, even if you don't know, you can't put your finger on it, you can't pinpoint it. If you've ever had a really healthy relationship in your life, you walk away from those encounters, you walk away from those meetings, and it's just life-giving, right? Nod your head if you've had those experiences. It's life-giving. It breathes air and oxygen into your soul. Well, the same is true of unhealthy relationships. They can be like smoke or really, truly, even a poisonous gas. Like, you know you know that feeling you get when you're around the campfire and the smoke kind of wafts your way, right? I don't know if you're like me, but the smoke always comes my way, right? And you get that tickle in your throat and you got to kind of cough it out. Like, like, there are some really unhealthy relationships and unhealthy aspects of relationships that you can feel. You might not be able to even know exactly what it is and why it's experiencing this unhealthy rhythm, but... You can feel it, right? You can feel it. You can sense it. It could truly even be poisonous gas. It could be deadening your emotions. It could be deadening your, your, your soul. It could really be slowly killing you. Unhealthy relationships. And part of the reason that you know it and you feel it, sometimes even when you can't put your finger on it, is because relationships, especially healthy ones, they're meant to be experienced, right? They're meant to be experienced not managed. And experience is like a dance, right? It's like it takes two to tango. Healthy relationships and our relationships are meant to be like, you know, a back and forth and a two and four from and like, you know, just sort of this sort of rhythm together. That's an experience, which is one of the reasons, again, friendships and relationships, you don't get an instruction book when you're born. You just sort of like do it and you sort of experience it. Again, just like breathing, the problem is, is that even in our culture and as we grow up with our sin nature is that we begin to manage our relationships instead of experiencing our relationships. We begin to kind of grasp for tools and grasp for ways to manage, especially unhealthy relationships, but what we don't realize is that, that, that our desire to manage our relationships are what's actually also making them unhealthy. The desire that we have to sort of control people and manage relationships is actually you know, participating in the unhealth of that relationship. And so this 
This next four things I'm going to give you, this actually didn't come from me. I wrote it down. It came from a different series at another church, Gwinnett Church down in Atlanta. It was phenomenal. I wrote it down because it just, number one, it makes sense to me when I start thinking about how even I try to manage relationships. Uh, But it's called the C4 Management System. This is what it was called. It was Cultures Relationship Management Tools, right? You can remember it by C4. There's four C's. And this is what we do in most of our relationships. It's just something we learn. We try to convince the other person, right? Don't listen. Nobody elbow anybody today, this morning, all right? No, this is not the morning to do that, okay? We think that with more information, we can win them to help them understand that we're right, right? I mean, I know you you say things your way, but I see things the right way, right? And so we step into our relationships and we start trying to convince someone And you can tell by social media how successful that is, to convince someone, and that will restore the relationship, and yet it never works. To convict, right? This is when you start to leverage and pressure for all that you've done for that person and all that you mean to that person or what they mean to you or that they owe you, right? Or it can get straight up shame and guilt. Like It can be a really unhealthy relationship where you're actually putting shame and guilt on another person to try to convict them. Coerce. This is just manipulation, right? This is where you start twisting their feelings. You know what to say to get a reaction, right? You know how to start the fight and you know how to end the fight. You can say passive aggressive statements, right? You can do the silent treatment. These are all coercive attempts to try to manage relationships. And the last C, which all of us I think agree with, is control, right? That we do to all to some degree want to control the agenda for another person so that the relationship can be restored, so that the relationship can be healthy. And yet here's what's funny, right? Everyone reaches to try to control relationships, and yet when someone tries to control you, how do you feel about it? You hate it, right? Like, like what sense does this make that if someone tries to control you in the relationship, you hate that? And yet, this is one of the tools that all of us reach for when we start trying to manage a relationship that's strained, when we try to manage a relationship that's struggling because we want healthy relationships. Relationships are meant to be experienced. They're meant to be two healthy people engaged in the sort of breathing and, ex- and back and forth and ebb and flow of a healthy growing in, in relationship to one another in terms of how you act. But yet all of us, and this again, this is why this message, the goal of this series is not, gosh, how do I get this to Bob? How can I forward this to Susie so she doesn't know it came from me so that she can see all the ways in which she tries to control me? Does that make sense? We all have a lot of work to do to help build better relationships. We all have work that can be done. Why? Because we all reach for ways to manage people. We all reach for ways in our relationships to try to manage one another. That can be be marriage. That can be dating. That can be friendships. Listen, that can be even your exes. That can be your estranged parent-child relationship. That can... We all reach for management tools that we've learned and picked up in our culture, but it is not what it was meant to be, and it's not the health, it's not the health that God wants to breathe into you, that pure O2, that, that oxygen that gives life to you and can give life to your relationships. Here's the theme verse 
for our series, and then we're going to dive into today's uh, topic. In your relationships with one another, this is Paul writing to the church, he said, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'll just stay here for a minute, I want you to think about that. Paul says, in your relationships with each other, okay, here's the goal. I want you to have the same mindset. Some translations say attitude, right? Have the same attitude, have the same mindset as Jesus does, right? And so I want you to just think about it for a minute because we never take the time to think about this. But I want you to think about your friendships right now. Do you see your friends and your friendships the way you believe Christ sees them? Right? Think about your dating relationships or your close, intimate relationships, your marriage. Like, do you really see them with the same mindset that Jesus does? If you have a fractured relationship with a parent or a child or a sibling or an ex, do you see them with the same mindset? As Jesus, this is why this is the theme verse. This is why this matters so much to us because we see the importance of, of what does it mean to us to take that challenge and say that our goal for relationships, our goal to build healthy and better relationships is to be the same, have the same attitude, the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, in his words, goes on to answer what this means, but I don't want to give it away right away. I want to go look at and see if Jesus himself actually taught about this, right? Actually spoke about this. Most of the time, the reason that we struggle to have the same mindset as Christ in our relationships with one another, honestly, is because our humanness gets in the way, right? And when I say humanness, I mean our rightness. Everybody with me when I say rightness? Your need and my need to be right gets in the way. It's our pride. It's our selfishness. It's our preferences. It's our political opinions. It's our social ideology. In fact, it's, it's just straight up our sin. Our sinful desires get in the way. And even if it's not your issue, okay, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but even if it's not you causing the unhealth in your relationship, it's certainly their humanness causing a problem. It's their rightness. It's their pol you know, political opinion. It's their you know, line in the sand. It's their ideology. It's their problems and pride and selfishness that are causing the issues. So Jesus does actually address this, and this is going to be our text for today. As we look at Paul's answer to that question, what does it mean to have the same mindset as Christ? And there's a beautiful illustration that Jesus gives in one of his teachings. So did he ever talk about this? Go to the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is a fantastic uh, sermon. It covers three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it talks, everything talks about God's relationship with man and then our relationship with one another. How does it play out? So he talks about the Beatitudes. Hopefully you remember some of these things. Starts talking about, when he starts talking about how we relate to one another, he's talking about anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, generosity, worry and anxiety, like how it plays itself 
out and right in the middle towards the back third, starting at Matthew 7. This is where we're going to pick up. Here's the words that Jesus starts with. Before he gives the word picture, here's the words. Do not judge, or you will, or you too will be judged. Okay, so he's in relationship with one another. Whenever you hear non-Christians tell you that you're not supposed to judge them, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you hear other people say, well, you're not supposed to judge, okay? That's where they're getting this from. Just let you know, it is in the Bible, okay? But it is in the context that Jesus is getting ready to share. I don't want you to judge or you too will be judged. And you keep going. It says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the, the, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay? With the measure you use. That's the phrase I want you to lock in on. Because this is the context by which Jesus is talking about, about judging. And saying, don't judge others or you, you're going to be judged. Because the measure you use, right? How you measure those things is going to be used against you. Now, this is my best example of measuring. You know, we could use weights or scales or anything. But you guys remember the yardstick? And I don't mean like, you know, for kids. You know, I don't, I don't mean that way or, you know, across the, you know, if you were a Catholic, good Catholic school. Um, I mean, like, you, you think about measuring things and like this would be smaller than this and, you know. But in our human relationships with one another, we're just constantly measuring. We're constantly judging. We're constantly measuring your, your issues with my issues and your faults and my faults. And we're constantly measuring one another in terms of how we measure up. You know, matter of fact, that's usually where friendships and relationships start. You know, you can measure up. And if you're measuring about the same, you can usually become friends because, you know, you're both dealing as a young mom, you know, and you have some of the same struggles and issues. So the way you measure your life is there. And, you know, sometimes you're both divorced and you can both talk about some of the same things. And that's, it might be negative, but it's still the same measurement. Does that make sense? So we use measurements a lot in our relationships with one another. And here's Jesus saying, look, I want you to be careful about your relationships with one another, especially as he began to talk about all these ways, and he gets to the end and says, look, I don't want you to judge people because you're going to be judged. Trust me, you're going to be judged. And there's a way this works. The measure that you use is going to be used for you. The measure you use is going to be used for you. So then he asks a question. I love when Jesus teaches with questions. He says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the, what's the word? Yeah, other translations, log, I think King James Version, log, in your own eye. So Jesus asks a question. He says, look, I want you to be careful in terms of how you measure and judge others because this is going to work in, in kind of symbiotic relationship with one another, with you and, and them. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye while you pay no attention to the log? <laughs> log. I love the word log. The plank, right? In your own eye. Now listen, you, we're all the same here, okay? So we're just going to all agree that if Jesus were here in the same context of the Sermon on the Mount and he was teaching it to us, we may not say it out loud because, you know, it's Jesus. But here, are, here would be our internal dialogue because immediately we would think of that brother or sister 
We would think of that friend with the speck. And our response would be this to Jesus. First of all, Jesus, it's not a speck of sawdust, right? Like, let's all nod. Let's, let's just say that. That would be our internal response. Yeah. I don't know what you're using to measure things, Jesus, but I've measured. And that is not a speck of sawdust at all. Okay? You didn't hear what they said about me. You don't, you don't see what they posted. Did you even read the article that they shared? Right? Do you know what they believe about this particular issue? The way they talk to their spouse or kids? Like, have you seen what's happened? Do you understand the betrayal it was when they gossiped about me to them? Do you understand, you know, how that made me feel? God, it's not a speck. The struggle here is not a speck. I don't know what you're using to measure, but Jesus, I've measured it. And there's no way it's a speck. And we'd also probably say this. Secondly, I don't have a plank, right? I don't have a, I don't have a plank. Like, look, I, I see it clearly. I was there, Jesus, okay? I was there. I saw it. I saw clearly what they, I heard what they said. I read the text. I read the email. I saw it. I saw how they responded. I, I was, like, I don't, you know, I know you're busy, God. I saw it. There's nothing wrong with how I'm seeing. And I don't know what you meant by the plank or the log, but I don't have that. I don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus asks another question because he already knows that's our response. So he asks another question. He says it this way. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Can you just picture that for a minute? Let me take the speck out of your eye. When all the time, there is a plank, there is a log in your own eye, okay? Just think about it. Let me take the speck out of your eye. I'm here to help you. Everybody with me? Jesus asked the question. He's like, look, and, and, and that word all the time, there's a, there's a Greek word, one Greek word that talks about that picture, that all the time. If you go to the King James, you see it, because it says, how could you do this when, behold, there's a plank and there's a log in your eye, right? This is the meme I created f to, to kind of explain this. This is the meme I see on social media all the time. Right there, right there. Did you see it? Like when, when Jesus is asking that question and he's speaking those words, he's saying, look, 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 look. Don't you see it? I see it. All the time you have this plank in your eye. And yet, what I happen to love is the question within the question or the question behind the question, which is this. Who do you think you are? Like Seriously. Not, not, not that Jesus is saying you can't help people, but he's talking about the way we relate to one another and the judgment that is just naturally there. And he looks at you and you're, he's like, how can, you, how can you say to someone, let me help you out, when all the while you've got this log in your eye? Who do you think you are? Like that should, that should shed some light for us. And if it doesn't, his next two words say it for us. If we can't get there, Jesus gets there for us. And he says, you hypocrite. Right? 
you faker, you pretender, you actor, you know, you liar. That's what, that's what that word means. You hypocrite, right? You're going to try to help your brother. Who do you think you are? How do you not see what, what should be seen? He says then, no, no, no. First, take the plank out of your own eye, okay? There is a priority list here, okay? And you need to remember how you're measuring things is being measured against you. So first, take the plank out of your own eye. And then and only then, he goes on to say, then you will see clearly, right? Only then can you possibly see clearly to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. Only then. Oh, there might be some measuring work to do, but it's going to start with you. Oh, there might be some work on that relationship, but it's going to start with you. It starts with your stuff. It starts with your junk. It starts with your plank. It starts with your log. It doesn't start with theirs. It doesn't start with them. Why do we struggle so hard with this? Well, this is a quote. This is a quote I wrote down. I love. I love this quote. I wrote it down years ago, and it just encapsulizes the, the, the struggle for me. What? We often judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Right? We judge, we judge others by what they said, by what they did. And if we're really intimate and know them pretty well, we can even put on the, and what they meant by it because of what they did and what they said. But we only judge us by what we intended. Well, I didn't mean to. Why are you upset? I didn't mean to say anything. Everybody with me? Like, I know this is stepping on toes. It's stepping on all our toes, okay? But just, I'm getting there. We struggle with this. We all have work to do. Because this is natural for us. To reach for our management tools, to measure others, and not think about the fact that we are measuring it within ourselves. But here's the, here's the thing I want you to see. This is why I brought the, the, the yardstick out. Just the idea, Jesus is talking. He's giving them the speck and the plank. Illustration, word picture, because he wants them to really understand the measurement. The measurement. The measurements that we use in relationship with one another. Because the lesson is really about perspective. It's about the point of view. This is what the whole story and the little part of his lesson is about. Don't judge others. You're going to be judged. That's just the way it is. That's, that's the accountability of life. You're going to be judged. And because this is a relationship, you're going to be judged in the same way you judge others. Like it's going to be a back and forth thing. But because we all suffer from farsightedness in our relationships... We all suffer because we think we can see clearly out here, like 4K high res, right? But then 
Everything around us is blurry. Everything around us is a blind spot. Any far-sighted people in the room? True far-sighted people? Yeah, yeah. You can see out there, but you can't really see here all that clearly. We all struggle with this, guys. All of us. So how we build better relationships is we, we have to take the lesson from Jesus and say, what perspective is going to matter. The perspective, the point of view is going to matter, right? I just want you to think about this. Can you really see a speck in someone else's eye? Like, can you? Just think about it physically. No, you can't. All right? We think we can. We, we, we dial in and focus on what's wrong with them and so on and so on. I get it. But can you really truly see a speck in someone's eye? Think about when somebody asks you to check and see if there's something in their eye. They're all leaning on your face and ripping your eyelids open and shining the phone flashlight in there. Everybody with me? And they still can't see it. And yet, oh my goodness, like have you ever had a stray eyelash? Like from the lower lid go up, it's like a tree branch right there. <laughs> or that crust in the morning that you didn't wipe off, you can't unsee it. Or let's be honest, if you really did have something in your eye and you can't get it out, doesn't it feel like someone has stabbed you? I mean, guys, this isn't a coincidence that Jesus uses this illustration to help you and I understand that we can't even really see specks in someone else's eye, and yet we think we can. And it's what we focus on in relation to one another. And we can always see what's in our eye if we would just be honest and know that it's really there and accept that it's really there. It's the perspective. And listen, godly perspective cultivates within us empathy and humility. Godly perspective, to really see someone else the way Jesus sees them, will cultivate in us. Meaning it might not be as natural for you, but it can be cultivated in us the ability to empathize, which means to see what someone else is seeing, to feel what they are feeling, to understand it to see things from their perspective, to have humility, okay, which isn't like, you know, thinking of yourself, you know, thinking down about yourself necessarily. It's not a negative thing. It's a way of thinking about yourself less, right? It's a way to think of yourself less often, to put yourself not at the top of the heap of the pile of importance. It can be cultivated in us, where Paul says, in all your relationships, I want you to have the same mindset. I want you to have the same uh, attitude. I want you to have the same perspective that Jesus Christ has of your spouse, of your friend, of your parents, of your children, of your ex. I want you to see them the way Jesus sees them. Don't reach around and manage them. Because if you see them the way God sees them, if you have that godly perspective, I'm telling you, these two things will come. The, 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 he will cultivate in you empathy and humility. 
Let's just look at two passages as we're wrapping this up. Two, two passages that really do this. Before we get to that part in Philippians where he talks about uh, the attitude of Christ, here's just some of the things he states. I want you to make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. This is Paul talking to God's people, saying, I want you to, to strive for this. And he goes on to say, don't be selfish. It's not all about you. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but, but take an interest in others too. This is that empathy and that humility. Humble yourselves. Understand that it's not all about you. Take interest in others. Understand why they think that. Do your very best to put yourself in their shoes, in their perspective, in their, the way they feel about it. You may never fully agree, but you can certainly practice and cultivate empathy when you see them the way God sees them, when you see them the way Jesus sees them. To have that same mindset, that same attitude, that same perspective. Here's Romans. It's Paul in Romans telling them, don't just pretend to love others. <laughs> don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a faker. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. And hold tightly to what is good. Let's pause there for a minute, Tony. You know, it, it takes maturity in a relationship but it takes godly perspective to hate what is wrong and to not immediately move to the fact that you're hating who is wrong. You can hate what is wrong about their ideology. You can hate, about, you can hate what you feel like is wrong or sin about their behavior, about their attitude, but you don't have to hate them. No, you have to love them. Listen, I... I tell people all the time, I hate divorce. Hate it. I hate what it does to relationships and to children and to people that have to walk through divorce. But I love the people who have had to experience divorce. Matter of fact, I, I want to have more empathy when I speak with them because I hate it. I hate the thing. I hate what is wrong but I can hold tightly to what is good. I can hold tightly to the call that I'm called to relate to them and to have perspective, their Jesus' perspective of who they are and to let that cultivate empathy and humility in me. Keep going. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another above yourselves. Bless those who persecute you. Don't Curse them. Again, you cannot do this if you do not have Jesus' perspective, Jesus' mindset, Jesus' attitude. You can't. You cannot actually ask God to bless the one, the one who actually curses you, who wants to hurt you, without that perspective. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. That's empathy, guys. That's the part of feeling each other's feelings. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. You don't think you know it all. Lord, help. Don't think you know it all. And listen, most of us don't think we know it all about everything. We just think we know it all about the things that we know it all about. Right? 
And don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do his right in the eyes of everyone. Again, that's an empathy thing. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, seek peace. Live at peace. And again, I know, guys, I know this message. I know part of you just wrestles with it like me. You, you, you might be trying to do some in, in, internal inventory, but you, you can't help but think about that person this message would be really good for. Okay, I know that. Please just understand that it might be good for them, but we have to start with you. It starts with you. Building better, better relationships is going to start with you. And those are the two things I want you to focus in on because that comes from a godly perspective. Empathy and humility. Here's how Paul answered that question. Here's how Paul answers the setup that he did in Philippians 2. Here's what he said. In your relationships with one another, I want you to have the same mindset, same perspective as Christ Jesus. What did he do? Being in the very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave who was born as a human being. Was there anyone on this earth more right than Jesus? No, right? Everybody shake your heads because you know that's true. There's, there's no one on this earth that was more right than Jesus. And you know, Jesus didn't take time to worry about just telling everybody how wrong they were as much as he, and how right he was, as much as he just wanted to form a relationship to help show them the way in humility and empathy, how much he wanted to restore the relationship. He so desperately wanted to restore the relationship between them and God. Hebrews tells us that we no longer have a high priest who doesn't, who's been set apart and doesn't understand the things we understand and the temptations we experience and the feelings that we have. He says, no, Jesus came and took on human form. He became a human so that he could feel those feelings, so that he could be tempted by those things, so that he could relate and empathize with you and with me. Building better relationships, guys, starts with, and again, this, is, this applies to friendships, but it's going to apply over the next several weeks as we move forward. It applies to everything, is empathy and humility. Those are the words I want you to walk out of here with. Empathy and humility. You can't see the speck in their eye. You certainly can see the log in yours if you just take the time to see it, because you know it's there. And if you finally get the right perspective, he will. I'm telling you, just pray for it. Pray for it. Pray for God to say, just let me see them the way you see them. Let's think about that person that you're struggling with. Let me just see them, God, the way you see them. And he will answer that prayer. He will cultivate in you. Once, he de once you deal with your junk and your plank and your log, he begins to cultivate within you empathy and humility so that you can be a participant and be someone who's a part of the health in a healthy relationship. There are some ways to do that. Here, even as here as a church, we, we try to create opportunities for you to connect and, and begin those Christ-centered friendships with one another. I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to relaunch our groups 
Um, hopefully here in the next couple months in the spring, we're hoping to relaunch about 10 groups um, so that people can have those connections and those togetherness and, and begin those Christ-centered fellowship uh, friendships with one another. We can't make you have healthy relationships, but we certainly can do our best to host an opportunity and provide facilitators and leaders to pr- provide those opportunities for you. We have uh, Discovering Journey coming up in a couple, uh, couple weeks. Those are for all the people that are new to Journey. And I'll tell you, there's something special about when you are new to a church, we know what it's like. And it's great to meet other new folks, right? So we eat lunch after the service and we have our new people meet each other and meet new people and meet the staff and talk a little bit about, you know, what we do as a church and why we do it. These are just a few things. We look forward to connection events happening again this summer. We've really missed the last couple summers where people have been able to connect on lots of different things, game nights and other things. We look forward to doing more of that. We really do hope in 2022. This is an opportunity for you to practice, right? To practice in your relationships, cultivating empathy and humility. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word and just... um, God, it is so challenging because we all have work to do. Nobody can walk out of here today, God, and be focused on the speck in someone else's eye when, God, we know, we know that all the time we've got a plank in our own. And God, just answer that prayer that many people will this week be brave enough to pray. Answer the prayer when we pray for us to see our friends, to see our relationships and to see those people the way you see them, God. Answer that prayer. Go to work on the stuff, the junk in us so that we can see clearly, so that we can participate in the health of healthy relationships as we long just, God, to, 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 to be like you, to, to, to have that same mindset and perspective that will create empathy and humility in us. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.